You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA and sponsored by Forest Pharmaceuticals. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangalos, professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a certified medical director in long-term care. This is a special edition of Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine recorded at the AMA House of Delegates meeting on June 16, 2009. I'm here today at the AMA meeting with three long-term care professionals, physicians who I've worked with in the past, who have been a part of the AMA House of Delegates deliberations this week. And we're here to talk about some of the long-term care issues and perhaps make some comments about where we might see long-term care play out in the next wave of health care reform. Here with me is Ron Crosno with the Home and Hospice Association, Peter Holman with the Rhode Island Medical Association, and Charles Cephalo, who's here with us representing the American Geriatric Society. He's the delegate for the AGS. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us this afternoon. We'll do this roundtable together and see what comments you might have. All three of you participated in the support of one of the AMDA resolutions at this meeting, and that passed with flying colors earlier today. It was on the nurse as agent in long-term care facilities where we really have struggled with uh, having the nurse in a long-term care facility recognized with the same credentials as we have in the hospital, contributing to difficulties with getting narcotic orders taken care of in a timely fashion. Charlie, did you want to make any comment along those lines? Well, I think the resolution is very, very important because I spent a lot of time, as y'all do, in the nursing home in writing out prescriptions and paperwork. And, you know, when this can be delegated to the nurse, it's very, very important. It helps me out a lot. It really breaks my train of thought. So that's very important resolution that, that needs to go through, and it did go through today. The AMA has always been very helpful to us when we bring forward uh, resolutions and policy issues that are unique to the long-term care environment. Peter, any comments about your participation here at the AMA meeting? Well, I think the purpose of the AMA House of Delegates is really to find ways to break down barriers that exist between the doctor and patient and enable people to be able to take optimal care of their uh, patients. And I think it's a great process in that organizations and even individuals can introduce resolutions, point out problems, uh, get a good discussion, a good hearing, point out facts, uh, some facts a lot of our colleagues are not even aware of, and then the House can go ahead and make recommendations that become part of AMA policy that enables the AMA to help move issues forward. Ron, you've been involved now with the AMA as well. And one of the more recent additions has been the hospice and palliative care activities that have been going on. Any comments? We've actually been involved with the MA for a number of years. It's an opportunity for us in hospice and palliative medicine, as it is for every other area within medicine, to bring forth our issues to gather The motto of the AMA is together we are stronger, and truly we are, and being able to work together, the nurse agency would be a perfect example of that with the AMA backing the AMDA position now. It was a lot of fun, and almost every time we have a resolution, we get very, very good support from AGS in particular, Hospice and Palliative Care now in the last six years, and there is a community of long-term care 
interest. Uh, American Academy of Family Practice has had a lot of support for all of the things that we've put forward. So has the American College of Physicians. And it's going to be very interesting to see how long-term care, actually, in home and hospice and geriatrics plays out with the health care uh, reform proposals that are coming up. We were all privy to being present for President Obama's presentation yesterday. Ron, any thoughts on what you might have heard that will play out for hospice and palliative care? There are some behind-the-scenes things that are actually happening now with some congressional staffers who've been contacting various organizations with the plans that the Obama administration has been supporting for transitional care, for example, to make sure that whenever somebody leaves the hospital, there will be a plan in place and an assurance that comprehensive evaluation and ongoing care will help prevent rehospitalizations. And that's something that uh, we in hospice and palliative care certainly advocate, and in long-term care, we certainly do as well. We heard a fairly strong signal yesterday about the bundling of services and about the integrated programs that he talked about at Geisinger and in Utah as well. Peter, any comments? The current system has a lot of problems in it, and I think it's very clear that people are taking a good look at what the problems are with the goal of fixing them, things like not having coordinated care, uh, not being able to really optimally care for people with chronic illnesses, having better integration across settings of care, really all the things that every doctor and every patient, every family caregiver has asked for for so long. President Obama talked about outcomes and outcome measures. Charles, do you want to say anything about that? I think the key to outcomes is that there be an incentive for the physician to achieve quality outcomes and that be tied to reimbursement because I think they go hand in hand. But one of the things also that I heard was said here is the issue that the disproportionate share that is traditionally paid uncompensated care would go away and the public insurance component would replace that. What would be interesting to see, there's been a lot of things that have been tossed around the table at different caucuses since then. And one of them is whether the indigent people who have the ability to pay would have to, say, provide a certain component of that public health, kind of like a uh, retirement system where the institution puts in a certain component and you kick in a certain component. And how that's going to play out is going to be very, very interesting because I would think people in general would be proud to say that, yeah, I cannot afford to fully insure myself, but I put in a certain component and there's a certain amount of pride and that's the American way. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. The president did talk about the burden that's on the emergency room, the hospitals that uh, have to cover that care and how there's plans in place to make some changes along that line. He also talked about and recognized the crisis in primary care, talked about handling some of the expenses for medical students and physicians going into rural areas a bit differently. Most of the people that we represent that come from our particular disciplines really are engaged one way or another in that primary care universe. And for the next generation to take our place, we'd certainly like to see a positive way of doing this. Gentlemen, either one of you want to make a comment? Peter? I think one of the other things that's exciting when you think about the workforce that we have for caring for elderly people is that if we have everybody having health insurance, that'll make the lives of the caregivers of people that work in long-term care so much better. With home and hospice and palliative care, there's a strong effort to do the right thing by the patient, keep them in an environment that doesn't allow them to get unnecessary care but get appropriate care. I think it's very important that we have the system tweaked in a way that we actually understand patients' goals and can try to meet those. And many times the patient's goal is not just to bounce back in the hospital, but to be maintained at home. We certainly know that in hospice. We certainly know that many times for long-term care patients, 
particularly if dementia is involved, that those folks do much better without a change in location and being able to manage those problems where the patient is. We need the resources in order to do that. And many times it's because of the lack of those resources that they end up back in the hospital. And Peter, you could probably comment about uh, home and community-based services. The American Geriatric Society has been a strong advocate of those activities. There's some legislation pending right now, and I think we'd all probably like to hear about keeping people at home. Well, absolutely. I think a big part of keeping people at home and meeting their goals, the patient-centeredness that we all try and seek so much, does mean that there have to be resources out in the community, that the incentives have to be there to take care of those types of things. Part of the emphasis on making primary care stronger means that there'll be creation of healthcare teams. You'll be making the doctor's offices be built out in the way many of us wish we could have uh, and during our entire practice careers with uh, support staff that really understand how to provide additional services, working with community-based professionals, even more than we do today with home care uh, agencies, really delivering care in the environment that's best for the patient. I'd have to say that probably geriatricians uh, have had the corner on the healthcare team just about longer than anybody else. I think it was built into our training, and it was built into the whole design about the cooperative spirit we share. Charles, anything else you want to add along those lines? Yeah, I think the geriatrician, the primary health care provider that does geriatrics, is going to be looked at in a good light. One of the questions that comes up, you know, when the medical home model came up, it was decided that the long-term care institutional component would be carved out. The team is very important in the nursing home. I mean, that's where team care is done unequivocally in the care plan meeting and the like. So it's going to be interesting to see with a system that was built on Medicare and Medicaid money since 65, long-term care has really flourished, at least institutionally. It's going to be interesting to see how the Obama plan shapes that. The president did talk about preventable hospitalizations and quoted the 20% number of hospitalizations that could be prevented. A number of those are end-of-life decisions. Do you have any comments about that? We see in the hospice setting that if hospice is involved, typically on an average of about a week, the rate of rehospitalization drastically declines. Whereas that first week that somebody's involved, before they really know the team, they're much more likely. And that's that time of transition when care is undergoing transition. And that's why that transition piece of this is so very important. As we wind down, thoughts about your particular wish list, which you think will happen or which you hope will happen with the health care reform proposal as it pertains to our patients. If you really want to achieve cost-effective quality health care, then you need to shift your dollars from the specialist to primary care. And that's where geriatrics comes in. So, I fully agree. And I would add the other thing I think that would be wonderful is to not have 46 million uninsured Americans that are really dragging the system down and making everybody else have to pay more. It would spread out, and I think it would really help our, our whole system. Well, we've long recognized that the people with chronic illnesses, especially with multiple chronic illnesses, are where most of the healthcare dollars are being spent, where most of the gaps in care exist. My wish list is that since now we're finally recognizing and admitting that it's a problem that has to be solved, that we're going to do something about it. I'm confident that we are, because I do think that almost all the resolutions that are being proposed do recognize the need for a more patient-centered chronic care model, for teams, for integration of all the people in the healthcare system, whether it's hospital, individual physicians, uh, agencies in the community. The president also talked about efficient purchasing of prescription drugs. Charles, you live in one of the poorest states in the country. 
That's a huge issue in Louisiana because uh, you have the donut hole. You have a large Medicaid population, and Medicaid does eat up a significant number of dollars from the standpoint of prescription drug coverage, and you're talking about the uh, substitution issue. You're talking about Medicare Part D. So this is a huge issue for the indigent, and that's another huge puzzle that needs to be figured out. One more question for Rhode Island. It has been a state that's done a lot of quality work. The president said yesterday he wants to bonus positive outcomes. Peter, any last comment on that? We definitely want to incentivize and reward people for continuously improving the care in a way that really meets the patient's needs and goals. And I think our biggest challenge is finding the best way to measure that and especially the best way to measure care that is highly respectful of patients' needs. We don't want to be looking at outcomes that aren't consistent with the patient's needs. So if what's most important is the palliative aspects of the patient care, that's what we need to recognize. I want to thank my three guests for joining us today live from the AMA meeting. And uh, thank you very much. This is Eric Tangelos on ReachMD XM160. You've been listening to a special edition of Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine recorded at the AMA House of Delegates meeting on June 16, 2009. For continuing coverage or to listen to President Obama's speech in its entirety, please go to www.reachmd.com. You've been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA and sponsored by Forest Pharmaceuticals. For more information about this or any other ReachMD radio show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. After a lifetime of creating memories, there's something that lurks in the darkness. Alzheimer's disease. When it advances... It's hard to slow. And each day that symptoms are ignored, the disease steals a piece of those memories away. To shed the light necessary to get patients the treatment they need, it takes the vigilant eye of a caring physician and the best pharmacotherapy choices available. Visit allscombo.com and listen to a webcast by respected long-term care authority, Dr. Richard Stefanacci of the University of the Sciences in Philadelphia. This webcast will discuss a landmark NIH-sponsored study that supports the rationale for using memantine and an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor in combination. Learn more about a landmark NIH-sponsored study examining combination therapy titled Combination Therapy Offers Benefits for Patients with Alzheimer's Disease in an engaging webcast at allscombo.com. That's A-L-Z-C-O-M-B-O dot com. Namenda, memantine hydrochloride, is indicated for the treatment of moderate to severe Alzheimer's disease. Namenda is contraindicated in patients with known hypersensitivity to memantine hydrochloride or any excipients used in the formulation. The most common adverse events reported with Namenda versus placebo, greater than or equal to 5% and higher than placebo, were dizziness, confusion, headache, and constipation. In patients with severe renal impairment, the dosage should be reduced. For full prescribing information, go to namenda.com.